Do babies have a natural instinct to sleep? Getting a better understanding of what my partner needed and what my children really needed, that's made a huge difference. Yes, yeah. otherwise I can get a little bit overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, I think lots of parents can relate to yeah. that. You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt. Here's a revelation. Long-term monogamous relationships are hard work, particularly after you have kids. There are a myriad of stresses that come into your life that weren't there before. Time is squished between work and caring, and there isn't a lot of time left for each other. And then there are the usual challenges of most relationships. When they don't pick up the towel from the floor in the bathroom, or they chew really loudly at dinner. But most of us have children with people we love. So how do we make that love last? Dr. Emma Agnew is a clinical psychologist and faculty member at the School of Life in Sydney. She facilitates a course called How to Make Love Last. Hi, Emma. How are you? Hi there. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Do you think people go into uh, long-term relationships knowing that they take work or do we just assume that it's going to be you know, birds singing and rainbows? Well, I think that um, really to answer the question, you know, the answer is in the fact that the class exists. (laughs) (laughs) In that, I think, unfortunately, um, kind of there's a, a level of romanticism that society is really latched onto when it comes to relationships. And I think the vast majority of people out there do believe that relationships are organic, instinctive, primal, that we, um, you know, that love is kind of surrounded by these pictures of um, it just being a natural feeling to, you know, to experience between two people. You're soulmates. So you've got to understand what you're saying without saying it. Exactly (laughs) that. These ideas of soulmate and the other half and your kind of your better half suggests that we are going to find someone that we just... Uh, by instinct can make it work but actually it isn't it that's not the case it is hard work it requires um, a level of skill it requires um, really being up to speed on communicating and different ways of communicating with each other and actually in a way I think it's almost should be looked upon as another task another job in your life to kind of actually not forget about and not think that it's something that will just tick along nicely in the background. So I think, yeah, you're very right. what happens with kids, right? (laughs) Absolutely. So after children, it can feel like the kids are now the most important thing in our lives. But you often start the class arguing that our lover or our partner in life is the most important relationship we'll have. Yep. And I suppose... (laughs) It's interesting because I think people with children um, undoubtedly would say that when they come along, they take precedence over everything and everyone in your life. But I think that possibly you can only really give your children the best possible love and support if that other relationship with your other half with whom you are seeking to you know, raise your children is looked after, is nurtured, is cared for. Because children are incredibly astute and they will pick up on dynamics between in the adults in their life, you know. And that's why, you know, by looking after that relationship with your partner, whoever they might be, um, you will inadvertently be looking after your relationships with your children. So I think it's important to, of course, you know, really... Um, 
prioritize your children, but don't let that be at the detriment to the other relationship that existed before those children came along. And the interesting thing about children is that we have so much generosity of spirit, I guess, when it comes to them. So if I think about the way that I talk to my kids, if they have had a tantrum or a bad day or they're feeling sick, if I compare that to how I speak to my husband in the same instances, I'm kind of horrified. <laughs> it's really not very good. Yeah. And when I, if I look at my own relationship, if I could treat my husband the way I treat my children, I think he'd be a pretty happy chappy. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> I think what's so interesting is we give our children, right, very rightly so, this unconditional love. And actually they can at times behave in rather appalling ways you know, they can you know, push away the food that you've just made for them. They can scream at you when you're trying to help them. But we rarely become personally agitated when these incidents happen. We kind of have a large repertoire of explanations to hand that we, you know, pull out, um, you know, to explain why our child might be behaving like that. They're tired. They've had a bad day. Their gums are sore. Any number of things that take the edge off those kind of really difficult behaviours. But it's fascinating because we don't apply the same rules to the adults and our, really our partners, um, you know, specifically in our lives, that when our partners are behaving badly, maybe they're a bit grumpy when they come back from work, maybe they're, um, you know, a bit moody at the weekend or they snap at you or, you know, whatever, we tend to assume they're doing it on purpose or they're doing it because they're mean or they've got something wrong with them. But the truth is that kind of these childhood states really exist within us throughout our lives. And what we advocate really is, um, you know, particularly in this class, we talk about it is to look beyond those adult selves in search of the, you know, inarticulate, frightened, um, upset child within and actually treat our adult partners in the same way that we would treat our children when it comes to understanding why they might be behaving in a in a difficult way. And um, I think we sort of say that actually if we were as generous with our love to our partners as we are with our children, we would perhaps lead much happier relationships. <laughs> we would feel much more understood. We would validate each other so much more. Definitely. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Dr. Emma Agnew. She's a clinical psychologist and faculty member at the School of Life in Sydney. And we're talking about the course that she runs, which is called How to Make Love Last. And um, I was noticing that I think if I treated my husband the way I treat my children, we'd all possibly be a little bit happier. Um, one of the things about the course that I find interesting, you, you spoke about this earlier, about needing to be skillful in our relationships and particularly in the way we communicate. Talk to me about the language of comfort and why it's so important we understand what that is for us. Yes. Um, and actually, I think this is something that uh, when I talk about comfort and how we comfort each other in a relationship really resonates. Um, people can recognize this in their own relationships often. Everybody has a different style in which they like to be comforted. So, for example, if you're feeling distressed, maybe you just like someone to listen to you. You like to talk about the problem, to talk about what's upsetting you. And it's the quality of the attention that someone pays you, which is important. 
Or perhaps you're at the other end of the spectrum, whereby vague sympathy is worthless. And actually what you need instead are solutions, strategies. You only feel kind of relieved or validated if your partner is engaging in the conversation by giving you um, plans as to how to improve the situation. Uh, Or maybe you're someone who likes to hear that everything's going to be okay, a little bit of optimism. But interestingly, there is a group of people who enjoy pessimism or rather need pessimism when they're feeling upset. They just want someone to say, God, you know what? Yeah, that sounds awful. I don't know how you're going to cope because they feel so validated. (laughs) But the, the thing is, we all we like to be comforted in different ways. And there's a misfortune that occurs when we try to comfort someone in a way that they don't appreciate. And so in a relationship, we really need to understand, first of all, what our needs when it comes to being comforted are and what the needs of our partner is. Because if you get it wrong, you can feel personally offended when someone is simply trying to help you. And then the person who's trying to help you can feel like you're being extremely ungrateful. I'm sure we've probably all remembered incidents where maybe you just want someone to listen to you and they start giving you solutions and uh, it can feel incredibly invalidating. So it's about learning those things about each other. And we really advocate in the in the class, in the course, that you um, talk about it. You find out instead of kind of blindly going into these situations without really a handle on what your partner needs in that moment. Which all comes from that premise or assumption that love should be easy and that we should just get each other. It's funny because hearing you say all those things, it's like, yeah, you do just assume that. You don't you don't think to find out. And you yeah. just keep, It's what is it, the definition of madness is just to keep repeating the same mistake over and over. Yeah. That seems like what a lot of relationships end up being, isn't it? Absolutely. And you get so frustrated. Um, I know that the key, there's a lot of things to this class that you unpack in the class, but the key things for you in looking at how to make love last are the ideas of teaching and imagination. I don't expect you to be able to concisely put that into a little package for us when the class itself, I think, is like three hours. Yep, three hours long. <laughs> D- densely packed as Densely well, packed three hours. Um, but how? why are those two things the important things to keeping your relationship strong? Yes. Um, well, I'll start with imagination, actually. Um, I think because... Going back to sort of what I was mentioning earlier in terms of looking beyond the unappealing, you know, behaviours of our partner in search of the more fragile child within, I think that's really what we mean by using your imagination, looking beyond the person in front of you in search for really what's going on beneath uh, the surface and how all of us humans are grappling with a complex legacy of a past um, that comes with it many hurts, angers, experiences which have shaped the way we view ourselves, we view our worlds, we view our interactions. And so being really in tune to um, keeping that in mind and imagining, you know, the, the our partner is part of a huge world and trying to kind of not just see them as in, existing in a vacuum within it. Um, and we've also got to be imaginative when it comes to considering each other's imperfections, that um, we are all flawed species and we need to be generous um, to look generous enough to look beyond the imperfections in front of us. So that's kind of why we need imagination in our relationships um, to see beyond what's in front of us. 
Um, and then secondly, in relationships, um, teaching is important because it's going back to the idea that it's ongoing work and that we actually need to continually consider ourselves both as teacher and student in love. We need to teach each other about ourselves, about what we need in order for love um, you know, to be delivered in a way that works for us. But also we need to be prepared to be a student of love, that we are really genuinely, authentically willing to take on feedback from our, you know, from our partner to grow and develop. And I think um, often we, we hear it said that, you know, we should love someone just the way we are. And actually, I think that's, I think that's difficult because we're all too flawed to demand love for being just the way we are. And actually, we should expect that we need to evolve together, that it is a work in progress, a relationship. And in order for that to be the case, we need to be prepared to kindly teach each other things and openly learn from one another. And that's just should be part of the day to day business, really, of being in a relationship. And just to kind of add to that, um, we talk a little bit in the class about different ways of teaching each other. And I think often we can fall into the into the trap of trying to teach each other in the moment of frustration, in the moment of the argument. Um, I just wish you'd be a little bit more like this. Or why wouldn't you listen a bit more? And actually, that won't get us anywhere. We need to be truly kind and compassionate and sensitive. If you if there's something that your partner is doing that you don't agree with or doesn't work for you in the context of your partnership take a moment to really consider how you can best help shape them, treat them like you would a child, I guess, going back to that idea. Um, don't just assume I'm being a teacher in love if I'm sharing a lesson with them. You've got to consider how the lesson is shared as well. I love that. And that is probably the hardest part of it all. Absolutely. <laughs> Emma, thank you so much for coming Thank you in. so much for having me. <laughs> That's Dr. Emma Agnew. She's a clinical psychologist and faculty member at the School of Life in Sydney. And the School of Life course, How to Make Love Last, is available both at Sydney, at Melbourne, at the schools that are based there. And we'll pop a link up to the School of Life on our website. Just head to kindling.com.au. You've been listening to Kindling Conversation. If you enjoyed it, there's plenty more where that came from. Find other stories and interviews at our website. Just head to kindling.com.au.